Blog Talk Radio.
Well, I think we get the gist of yeah, that. They're all kids, you know. They're all young people, but those are the people that buy the uh, goods. Yeah, the shirts. You know, the shirts, the North Face, they have jackets and vests and all kinds of things. But apparently they run sweatshops and they're not responsive to their employees' needs at all. Many of them well, have died. Yeah, here's something. It's not union news, but it's news. <clears throat> Baltimore City Hall steals $10 million slated for providing homes to the homeless. Then evicts the homeless encampment using prison labor. Oh, nice. This is Baltimore, folks. Stay away from there if you can. I can. I will never go to Baltimore. I have no reason to go there uh, ever. So, anyway. <coughs> Interesting. Shows here. This is how people in America protest, or this is how people all over the world protest. There's a huge crowd of protesters in the middle of uh, squares, you know. Yeah. And it says, meanwhile in America, it shows it shows a whole line of of, of uh, young women trying to go into doors, all all reading their iPhones. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like brain dead, brain dead world. Thank you very much. So. I got some news from ASME here. I don't know if you'd like to. Yep. Uh, Illegal outsourcing, not in our backyard. When the University of Washington completed renovations on its football stadium last year, operations were supposed to return to normal, but that's not what happened. Instead, a private contractor quietly took over the maintenance and custodial duties. Members of the United Workers Skilled Trades Bargaining Unit noticed and blew the whistle. Well... When the private contractor attempted to take over maintenance and custodial duties, Husky State, members of the University of Washington School Trade was a bargaining unit noticed and, like I said, again, blew the whistle. I'm trying to find the article here. It's one. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know what happened if they were able to get in or not. Okay. Uh, but that's the uh, way that, 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 that. That outsourcing. Yeah. yeah. Under Washington State, all new law contracting must be bargained with the union. But the state failed to notify its workers and illegally outsourced, uh, uh, when illegally, illegal outsourcing <coughs> nearly swept out of sight. We, we were uh, we were learning that management more and more is outsourcing our work, explains Janine Livingston, the union's contract compliance manager. During the Great Recession, cuts were made and positions were lost. Now, during the recovery, the body of work is growing, but the positions haven't necessarily followed. That's why WFSE is asking its members to act as watchdogs and help enforce the contract. They established a new program called Outsourcing Watch, which helps state workers report violations that they see on the job. When someone notices outside contractors doing work that should be done by state employees, they can visit the Outsourcing Watch page on the WFSE um, website and um, fill out a form detailing what they saw. Employees should also take photos of the illegal outsourcing activity to see and to serve as evidence. WFSE is close to settlement with Husky Stadium case. Members will continue to keep an eye out for the illegal outsourcing so that public service uh, says remain in the hands of qualified public employees. Not the business. I mean, they, you know, they, they, you know, they're just they're, they're they're just outsourcing everything, right under your noses. Mm-hmm. You know, right under our noses. It's like, yeah, it was a break, Lord. You know. Chicago 
Yes, cab driver. Yeah, hails, uh, hails Union. The Chicago cab drivers hail the Union. Um, well, they're, they're trying to use regular cars and things instead of using taxis. There's all kinds of stuff going on. Uh, for decades, like the city's cab drivers have been voiceless. Faced with the burdens in 2012 overall, the city's taxi regulations that took away some $7,500 annual income from the average cab driver. How much? $7,500. Wow. Taken away from them. That's a big yeah. chunk of change. These hardworking women and men are uh, coming together to build strength and make their voices heard. From Bula Liam Ted Karabi, a veteran cab driver with 18 years' experience behind the wheel, one of the most pressing issues is the lack of due process drivers fine when they attempt to fight a ticket or a fine. Regardless of whether you are guilty of a rule violation, it's your fault, he says. There is no justice for taxi drivers. We are just looking for equal treatment, but instead we are treated like second-rate citizens. Okay. Employees are veterans. I have something to read on that. The recent revelation of a long waiting list for military veterans seeking treatment at Veterans Affairs, healthcare facilities, and of management cover-ups has prompted AFGE to again call on Congress to fully staff the VA in order to provide health care veterans deserve. And they're talking about this. In this new video, AFGE says, we can't heal the VA until we fill thousands of vacant positions reopen hospital beds and increase resources or patient care. Since 2009, two million veterans have entered the VA healthcare system. And in the past three years, primary care appointments have jumped by 50%. Yet the number of primary care doctors has increased by just 9%. In addition to the physicians, staffing the VA must include clerks and other support personnel who work hand-in-hand with doctors to ensure that top-notch medical care is provided at every VA clinic in a productive and timely manner. AFGE National President J. David Cox Sr. says, we regularly receive reports from VA providers and support personnel about the devastating effects of chronic short staffing on a veteran's ability to receive quality, timely care. On Monday, AFGE sent letters to Senate and House members on the Conference Committee for the Veterans Access to Care Act of 2014, urging them to support the Senate version of the bill. I'm not sure exactly what that bill says. You can learn more about it if you go to the um, AFL-CIO healthcare blog. Let's see what this says. We have a little audio piece here. I'm not sure how long this is, folks, so we'll just take a look and see. Oh, not very long at all. We can't heal the VA until we fill thousands of vacant positions, reopen hospital beds, and increase resources for patient care. Since 2009, two million veterans have entered the VA healthcare system. In the past three years, Primary care appointments have leapt 50%. Yet at the same time, the number of primary care doctors grew by just 9%. Until Congress gives the VA the resources it needs, 
our veterans will continue to face long waits. 64,000 deaths fall the The incentive structure for VA management is backwards. Managers should be rewarded for creating effective teams and delivering high-quality care, not for treating vets like they're checkboxes on a to-do list. AFGE members have paid a heavy price for voicing concerns, raising issues in labor management meetings, and testifying before Congress. But there's nothing wrong with the VA that cannot be fixed by what is right with the VA, the frontline providers who care for our veterans. We owe a lot to our vets. They deserve top-notch and timely care, not a wait list. So call your members of Congress today and urge them to staff the VA so our nation's heroes can get the care they've earned. AFGE.org. All right, folks. Staff the VA. Uh, let's see. Mo money, mo pizza. Opponents cry, if you raise the minimum wage, the economy will crash. All jobs will be lost. Yeah. America, as we know it, will cease to exist. Well, not so, well, not so much. In fact, it looks like raising <laughs> the minimum wage does the opposite. Minneapolis-based Punch Pizza recently raised the minimum wage in its restaurants. The company owns eight in Minnesota to $10 an hour. And not only has it survived, but it just announced in its expansion to a ninth restaurant. And the investment in its employees reported to be worth $2.5 million during the, last, the next 10 years did exactly the opposite of what many predicted. In an interview with WCCO Punch Pizza co-owner John Puckett, Puckett spoke about the move and how it uh, positively impacted his business. We've seen a big jump in sales, and I think part of it is because people feel connected to the investment we're making, he said. Puckett uh, told the station his restaurant sales are up 10% since it made the decision to pay employees a minimum of $10 an hour. I feel really, I feel like we got rewarded both with people comments and their pocketbooks he added. So there you have it. Doing the right thing might actually help us grow and create more jobs. More than 250 working women, along with AFL-CIO Secretary-Treasurer Elizabeth Schuler, attended the White House Summit on Working Families on Monday to join with the President in calling for more family and women-friendly workplace policies. There are some employers participating in the President's agenda to raise wages and improve working conditions. But Schuler and the AFL-CIO emphasized that the best path to most women workers seeing improvements is through collective action and bargaining. While the summit had a broad focus on important issues to working men, women and working families, Shula emphasized that workers talked to her about issues like raising wages, paid sick days, paid family leave, pay equality, flexible work practices, and stability in scheduling and other things. And here's a quote, when women succeed, America succeeds. So there's no such thing as a woman's issue. This is a family issue. It's an American issue. I think that's important. Oh, yeah. So they talk about the needs of women in the workplace, equal pay, flexible schedules. That's really important. A lot of women who work have children. And you need to have a flexible schedule if all possible. True, babe. 
is one. In our regular weekly feature, we're taking a look at the winners and losers the week of the week and the struggle for rights of working families. The winners will be people or organizations that go above and beyond to expand or protect the rights of working families, while the losers will be whoever went above and beyond to limit or deny those rights. Let's see if they have, if they started this. I had to go to the next page. Winner, let's see, is Barack Obama for enhancing the rights of workers by expanding rights for LGBTQ workers. Lesbian, gay, by and transsexual workers. Oh, we saw that one before. We had that one on. We listened to that. Oh, we did? Yeah. Um, you don't remember that. You don't remember that. The runner-up, so the winner was Barack Obama for his thing. The runner-up is whistleblowers. After the U.S. Supreme Court voted 9-0 to zero to protect public employee whistleblowers, against being fired by providing sworn testimony in court. And that's happened to a lot of people. The loser, Scott Walker, who in addition to a series of extreme attacks on the rights of workers in Wisconsin, is now accused of criminal election law violations. The runner-up to that is the restaurant industry which not only underpays many employees, but doesn't do enough to protect female workers from sexual harassment. Nearly 37% of all sexual harassment claims filed with the U.S. Equal Employment Opportunity Commission are from restaurant, are from the restaurant industry. Hmm. Yeah. Remember that video where the woman was... Yeah, yeah, restaurant. I mean, they're paying $2.13 an hour to these poor girls. Yeah. I have men too. I mean, it's like what? It's terrible. Uh, what? What? What the hell? And then the you have to is? take harassment from the uh, people that come in. As we gear up for the July Fourth week, week and beyond summer travels, remember we're not the only ones on the road. Tens of thousands of men and women, many of whom are members of the laborers operating engineers, electrical workers, and other unions go to work every day on construction and repair projects on and along our highways, roads, and bridges. Pay attention. According to the U.S. Department of Transportation, 609 people died in highway work zone crashes in 2012, an increase of 19 fatalities compared to 2011. Oh, my goodness. I didn't realize that, that so many people were killed in, in the uh, on the road, people that are working. That's terrible. This summer, give road workers a break. Watch the signs indicating road work. Slow down. Follow the posted speed. Pay attention. Don't be distracted by cell phones or by the radio. Recently in Michigan, a coalition of state agencies, unions, lawmakers, and corporations 
came together to highlight the need for driver work zone awareness. In 2012, IBEW member Jeffrey Creel was struck and killed by a motorist while repairing a downed power line in a Michigan road. Said Lansing IBEW local 352 business manager Ron Burns, <clears throat> we want every one of our members to return safely home to their families at the end of the day, but we need the public's help when it comes to work zone safety. As was said before, watch for signs and orange cones indicating road work. Slow down, follow the posted speed, pay attention. Don't be distracted by cell phones or the radio. Stay patient and courteous and expect the unexpected. So <coughs> pay attention to work zones. There's plenty of work that needs to be done on our roads. At least here in the Northeast, we have a lot of potholes, and we had a very bad winter. A lot of salt was put down. The roads aren't in very good condition. So hopefully um, people will be out repairing the roads. So let's pay attention and make sure that we're careful when we're driving. We don't want to hit anybody. Yeah, we will. I mean, that's not a hard work. Out in the hot sun and the, uh, on the asphalt, that's got to be very hard work. Mm. Well, anyway, uh, I, I don't know, Lila. I, I just don't know what we're dealing with right now. Um, ACLU, uh, <coughs> big day for the freedom to marry on the eve of the anniversary of Windsor. Huh. Big day for the freedom to marry on the eve of the anniversary of Windsor. Uh, hello. A federal judge ruled that Indiana's law banning marriage for same-sex couples, as well as its ban for recognition of marriages between same-sex couples performed outside of the state, is unconstitutional. And the Tenth Circuit just ruled against Utah's ban on marriage for same-sex couples. This marks the first time that an appellate-level court has ruled on state marriage bans post-Windsor. I don't know what the hell Windsor is. Do you? No. I thought I thought I was being saying something great here, but I have no idea what the hell Windsor is. So anyway. Oh, how about this <laughs> low wage villain of the week, Steve Forbes? Yeah. In our new regular feature, we'll take a look at the villains who are doing their best to prevent the United States from raising wages for all of some Americans. In this series, we're going to look past the usual suspects. For example. While it's true that too often elected officials get in the way of a fair economy, we want to dig deeper. This week, we're focusing attention on the poster child for being born on third base and thinking he hit a hole. Steve Forbes. Okay. Uh, yeah, you want to hold one second? We'll be right back. So this is the, uh, the way it is. So thinking you had a triple. Steve Forbes is a public figure by virtue of his tremendous savvy. What savvy? Oh, for those who quibble with follow-up questions, he had the savvy necessary to choose an extremely rich and influential father to bequeath him hundreds of millions of dollars in access to business and Republican Party elites. Board of the inherited career largely spent sort of running 
his dad's empire, Ford spent $66 million of his unearned money in spectacularly unsuccessful campaigns for president in 1996 and 2000. To get a sense of the scope of the preposterous waste of money that his campaign represented, he spent the equivalent of roughly 13 million hours of minimum wage work in order to earn an insignificant handful of delegates. For someone who builds himself with no apparent sense of irony or self-restraint, as an expert in, on investing, those campaigns were the complete opposite of savvy. But what has Forbes done recently to draw our attention? Well, as Gawker's Hamilton Nolan put it, he penned this troll for the ages in the Washington Post. Thank the rich for supporting the underclass. That piece is now only marginally less foolish under the revised headline, How Billionaires Are Fixing Philanthropy. Forbes uses valuable journalistic space to glory in how America's increasingly unfair economy empowers elites to decide which problems society has the resources to address and how to do so. In other words, as our government is starved of resources by tax evasion, by conservatives like Forbes, our only hope for progress is that self-appointed elites do a good job at something more than promoting their self-interest or to satisfy their ego. And if Forbes' presidential campaigns are any indication, leaving society's response to issues from global warming to immigration reform in the hands of our economic elite is not only undemocratic but stupid for demonstrating no self-awareness about the origin of his influence and for advocating for an oligarchy over the type of democracy at which he has failed so miserably. Steve Ford is our, our low-wage villain of the week. Oh, okay. Okay. So I'll be gone for a little bit, folks, and Leo will... Yeah, in fact, uh, we're going to go away for a quick music break, and we'll be back uh, with some more news. All right?
our show just got zapped again. Somebody didn't like what we were doing. But, um, you know, we continue, folks. Yes, we do. Uh, can't kill us all. You need three computers to run this show. Wouldn't think so, but we do. Um, let's see. This is interesting. Does uh, meet some of the women attending the White House Working Families Summit. Yeah, let's see who it is. Women are. Um, Today, more than 250 women workers and labor participants are in Washington, D.C. Now, this article, of course, was written on the 22nd, which was, what, three days ago. So, um, uh, this was in D.C. at the EFL-CIO headquarters, preparing to share their stories of the White House Working Family Summit Monday. Women are coming together and improving their workplaces uh, by uh, fighting for policies that include everything from raising the tipped and minimum wage, making equal pay for equal work in reality. Uh, yeah. Sorry, folks. Unreal. It's unreal. Um, still trying it, yeah. Women are coming together, I just said that. Um, these women workers know collective bargaining and collective action are important to achieving workplace policies that work for women and families. Check out some of these women's stories below and follow the hashtags. Um, let me see if I can read any of these. Anyway, I'm, uh, 
I'm kind of like um, lost in a lot of ways with, 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 with this. The union news is so damn bad, <laughs> you know, um, and I, I hate to see what's happening out there. I just, you know, I go to my post office every day, you know, because we don't have delivery in this area, you know, we live too close to town, but, um, but the, but you know, I see these guys cutting, but getting cut back, and I have known for years. Yeah, I see the uh, postmaster looking haggard and you know worried about everything, and there's one, uh, one worker that he has on you know off days, uh, and you know he's haggard and tired. And, I mean, it, it's just yeah, they're understaffed, and of course they're underpaid now, and you know, and they're worried about you know it's just it's just ridiculous, you know. Just ridiculous. Uh, what what's going on out there, folks? I, and just to see this happening, it just spread, just knocks me out. You know, just, just really knocks me out. I, here's something that kind of shocked me. It's about Charlie Rangel. Everybody heard about him recently? Well, Charlie Rangel rebuffs primary challenger to win his 23rd House term. I mean, if there is a reason for House for 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 uh, if there is ever an example of uh, a reason for having term limits. Here's one of them. 23 years, this Charlie Wrangle, right? I mean, my God, come on, you know? Spent more than 40 years running for office, and you get pretty good at it. Representative Charlie Wrangle of New York likely won himself a 23rd term in Congress Tuesday night. He, despite an ethics scandal that caused some Democrat politicians to keep their distance, and a recent shake-up of his boundaries of his district that has shifted his constituency to be major, majority Hispanic instead of African-American. The 84-year-old, I mean, the guy's 84 years old. You know, he won't give up, this son of a bee. Right? <laughs> you know, the 84-year-old Harlem uh, powerhouse beat his many uh, primary challengers, uh, Senator Adriana, I can't even pronounce these guys' names, no wonder, he won. no wonder he won. Uh, the city will continue to account outstanding absentee ballot next week. But it appears Espelant cannot win, even if they do go his way. The state senators uh, say he won't concede until every vote has been counted. The pair uh, were the times neck and neck in polls in the 13th district. And Wrangell appears to sweat it on the, appeared to sweat it on the campaign trail. He told reporters Monday he would cry himself to sleep if Espelot pulled off a victory. But no tears were to be found at Wrangell's victory party, uh, which was held in an orange high school gym, you know, in East Harlem, and la, 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 la. I thought it would be premature to declare victory with less than 90% of precincts reporting. He, st he stayed on stage 45 minutes until the advisors told him to hold off on the victory dance. At times, his rambling chatting a good chunk of it about the recent addition of green taxi cabs for New York City neighborhoods outside of Manhattan it was an audible over the dinner. Well, who the hell cares? You know, this is one example of a guy who should get the frig out of Congress. You know, he's corrupt. He's shown to be corrupt. Now, he just, you know, he's a guy, I mean, 23 terms in Congress. Good Lord, man. You know, what the hell is going on here? You know, why? How can, you know, just frightening. And we, we say, oh, Mr. Wrangle, how nice it is to know you, sir. 
I just got I just got zapped again. I guess they didn't like my political rant. Right? You know, I'm getting really sick of you bastards. You know, who are, who are hacking my show every single week. Alright? You know, and uh, some kind of moron out there. You can hear me because I got two other uh, computers you can't touch. So up yours. But I'm going to tell you something right now. This For them to hack this show, got to tell you, there's got to be something they don't want you to know. They don't want anybody to hear, okay? And that's, that. you know, guys like Wrangle, okay, are strangling the system. Uh, you know, uh, the, the unions are out there trying like hell to get things done, trying to help people. But, of course, whoever's trying to hack this show and has already tried has already done it three times, knocked my program right off the air or knocked out my computer, all right? Um, this only happens during this program, by the way. I never get knocked out under any other circumstances. Or, or even on my Thursday night programs, I, I very seldom. Tuesday night, Wednesday night, the nights that I cover any, any information uh, on uh, politics or, you know, or anything, I get zapped. I don't know why. I guess people are scared. People are worried. People are troubled by what I have to say, which is the truth. So you know what? You don't like it? Hey, keep trying to knock me off stage. I'll get more computers. I got two of them working now on batteries, so up yours. I got, I'll have ten of them in here if it takes that to keep me on the air. So screw you, all right, whoever you are out there trying to knock my show off the air, all right? You know, that's absolutely absurd. Don't even think about it. Anyway, um, uh, there's something interesting. I, I think this is true because I, I, I really, I really think there that college athletes are getting the short end of the stick, and so are um, adjunct um, professors, all right, in colleges. They're just getting shafted now. Um, this the writer says uh, Kenneth Quinnell wrote this on June 19th uh, for the Ask Me uh, the AFL-CIO blog. I graduated with a master's in political science from Florida State University in December of 2000, but wasn't sure what career path I wanted to take at that point. I had been working part-time as an assist office assistant and knew I wanted to do more when I was offered a chance to teach a college class as an adjunct at Tallahassee Community College. Reluctantly, I accepted. Since the idea of getting up in front of students and talking for an hour or more every day was a scary concept, I quickly realized that I loved teaching and that in recent in reality, the scary part of teaching was working as an adjunct. Adjunct professors are a vital part of the college experience, and for many students, they are the bulk of the college experience. Adjuncts do not, uh, or rather, don't do a job significantly different than those of tenured professors. Sure, they teach fewer classes and have fewer commitments outside of the classroom, but once they once that clock hits the start time for a particular class, titles go away and teachers are teachers regardless of their degree, title, or level of experience. They have the same job of taking a complex topic and finding a way to get students not only interested in the topic, 
but they have to find ways to help a wide variety of students in terms of demographic background, learning style, subject knowledge, et cetera, and end the semester uh, with about the same level of mastery on the subject. Beyond the challenge of the classroom, which are daunting enough, but rewarding in so many ways, yeah, right, adjunct professors face a wide variety of challenges that tenured professors often don't have to worry about. Each situation is different, but tenured professors uh, tend to be paid pretty well, tend to have good benefits, good job protections, and have advocates who will work on their behalf, as well as their employee. Adjuncts don't have much of that at all. And you know, the thing with adjuncts is very similar to, to substitute teachers, um, but um, you know, subs come in daily and so on, and they get absolutely no power, no rights. Um, but uh, adjunct professors, they're the guys that come in and do the job and have no rights either. They got no protection, you know, um, and no guarantee of any kind of uh, work you know, beyond uh, their class, right? Like I said, the conditions vary greatly from college to college, but I'll briefly describe the conditions of work under the 11 years I was an adjunct professor. Here again, you see, now here, here we go again. The guy's bitching and moaning about being an adjunct professor, but yet he stays as one for 11 years. You know, I mean, you, you would think the guy would try to become a, a you know, would have, would have uh, been good enough, all right, or gotten whatever he needed, credentials or a PhD or whatever, and try to get a tenure position. But 11 years as an adjunct professor? Come on. You're not, you, you know, you, you don't want to be anything else but, okay, that. It's obvious obvious you don't, right? And what, I don't know what, he, what else the guy does for a living, but, you know, it's, uh, I don't know. Um, keeping in mind that I love teaching, I love to work with TCC, a college that gave me uh, not only the start of my career, but, I mean, what the hell did they give this guy? You know, a lousy job to teach one class a, a month, you know what I mean? It's like they gave him no benefits, they gave him a great job. All he did was give him a part-time uh, kick in the ass. There were maybe two or three semesters in my time as an adjunct where I brought home more than $1,500 a month in salary from teaching. As a single father who had custody of three young children, three days a week in a city with a pretty high cost of living, that meant I always had to have another other work in order to supplement my income, something that was hard to do when I always had to go back to teach classes which could often conflict with the work schedule. I had no health insurance or other benefits, although the kids were at least able to get insurance through their mother. If I got sick or injured, it was my emergency room on the clinic. It was the emergency room or the clinic. One of the key problems was job security. Every three months, I was a, uh, was a battle for myself and the many other adjuncts in town over the small pool of classes available. The 1500 a month was based on teaching three classes a semester. Okay. Uh, something that was quite difficult. My degree was in political science, but the vast majority of semesters, three political science classes were difficult. Luckily for me, I was also able to teach history, so I had some additional flexibility. But once the Great Recession hit, the market was flooded with people looking to, for classes to teach and had to go to further and further lengths to find three classes, uh, including drives to nearby colleges that were longer than an hour in each direction. I'm going to... I feel sorry for this guy, and I know what these people do, and I know what they go through, because 
I've done this in the extent in the, in, the, in the extent of being a sub teacher in a high school system for for several years and knowing what that's like. But you know, when the economy hit, it's like John, that kind of work works for me, only because I have this show to do. I write and I you know I, I do a lot of other things um, and a website and so on that I keep up and um, my work is is is, is, is daily, but. Um, you know, it's nice to have some income, but with these classes teaching as an adjunct, after 11 years, for crying out loud, you'd think they would be, you know, they'd get on with it and apply to other colleges as a, as a full professor. I don't know. I, mean, I, I I have problems with things like this. And yes, they should be paid better, but then again, it's the person that's doing the work, all right, that should demand to be paid better, demand to be better off, you know. And uh, I don't know, it just doesn't seem like that's the case. And that's why they're getting screwed, all right? And there's no unions. There's no tenure. There's no anything for these guys. Uh, and I know that feeling. Uh, you know, it's it's really, you're, you're really on your own. But at the same time, you can't blame anybody for it except yourself. You know, you're in that job. You chose it. You know, you, there are other jobs. Something must be working for you there. I don't know. But uh, it's kind of like that other one I read earlier where a woman was in the uh, she was a child care worker for 21 years, and she said it's the lowest-paying job she ever had. Well, she only looks like she's 50 years old. So, I mean, she stayed in, a, in the lowest-paying job of her entire life, okay, for 21 years, and now she wants to get a raise. I think it's probably a good idea to be unionized, but she is unionized, and she's still the lowest-paid worker. I mean, so what, what is working for her here? I mean, try to get another job, lady, uh, somewhere. 21 years in the same low-paying, lowest-paid profession in the world? My God. That's, I mean, I, I, I think I would get something. Or like the, the, the woman who, uh, oh, you know, the, the, the restaurant worker who had been a restaurant worker for 20 years complaining about sexual harassment and $2 an hour uh, wage. I mean, come on. Can't you do something else, you know? Um, if they, huh, You know, I, I don't know, guys. Maybe I'm on the wrong side of this issue, but it, it just seems nuts to me to be advocating, you know, for people who don't give a shit, you know, um, you know, and that that's 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 the way I see it. I mean, you know, it's very difficult, very 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 difficult for to organize a union or organize workers in any way, shape, or form, and you know, for fear of jobs, fear of uh, you're getting losing your job or whatever. But you know. To stay in a horrible job your whole life when you just, you know, for, for, for what? The only reason they're keeping you in those jobs is because they don't have to pay you anything. It's not because they love your work, you know. <laughs> they're just saying there's no other sucker out there that will do the job. So i got to keep that person, you know. And they treat you like hell or whatever they do, but you're willing to be a slave? Well, hey, well, it's you that's a slave, you know. Sorry. No one else is a slave. You are. Um... It just doesn't get any better, folks. You've just got to fight for everything you get, everything that you everything you get, you know. Um, you you have the option. You always have the option to either fight or not, you know, and a lot of people just choose not to and go on and, and bitch and moan. Don't even, don't come around when the unions come and try to raise your wages or, you you know, you vote some uh, dickwick into office who refuses to, to give minimum wage, or you know, take away benefits, uh, destroy public unions, uh, you know, 
But, you know, people just don't make any sense. They don't make any sense. You know, and trying to make sense out of them is, is a waste of time. Uh, fix our bridges, roads, fund the highway bill. Well, that makes a lot of sense, I think. Will the highway trust fund running out of money, thanks to congressional inaction, crucial highway and bridge repair projects should be shut down uh, starting this summer? On Monday, the laborers... Um, I might have I might have read this at one time at one last week I think um, I might have read that so let me go on sorry folks the uh, I might have uh, I don't always have new good news on here new news I should say I don't always have new news on here but um, who cares. Um, I'm going to. Uh, we got a few more minutes here. Let me let me go back to uh, what I was reading before. Do a little uh, do a little environmental news here. And views and uh, okay. I have to laugh. I every so often I go into um, anybody use their Yahoo page. It's a Yahoo News. Okay. Now uh, here's this uh, flash in the pan article that I just saw here, and it says, "Are you tying your shoes wrong?" Yeah, right. Okay. The best way to tie your running shoes. <laughs> I I don't know why I want to read this in the last ten minutes, but I think I think uh, I think it's interesting. The best way to tie your running shoes. You learn how to tie your shoes sometimes around kindergarten, but that doesn't mean it's the best blind for uh, your running sneakers. Um, these 14 awesome kicks will help you con- conquer the outdoors this summer. <laughs> they get a running shoe guide. In fact, if you're ever tripped up over a rogue lace or found yourself retying your shoe during a run, you're probably lacing up all wrong. There's a better way to do it. According to Jeff Dengate, runner, world shoes, and gear editor, it's called the reef knot, and it only gets tighter as you run. Wow, that's great. Okay, read about these five common running shoe claims before buying your next pair. It says check out the technique, okay, uh, in the video below. And remember that laces are laces, so it will work on any kind of shoe that requires tying. Well, I don't know. I've got a video on this, but it's only two minutes. So let, let's see what he does. Okay. Hi, I'm Jeff Dengate, shoes and gear editor at Runner's World. Here with a quick gear tip. If you're out running and your shoes come untied, chances are you're not tying your shoes right. I know, I know. It's a very simple thing. We learn it as small children. But there is actually a proper way to tie your shoes. A lot of us runners, myself included years ago now, tie granny knots. Granny knots are knots that are actually going to come loose over the miles. What you should tie is a reef knot, and that is actually only going to get tighter as you run. There's a small, small difference. The granny knot is easy to identify because when you tie it, it sits parallel with your foot. So the bows actually run up and down your foot rather than nice and across the, the shoe like a reef knot will, which I will show you here. A reef knot lays flat across your foot, 
perpendicular to the chute, so it lays side to side. That's a reef knot. That's now, a granny knot, as I said, is working the way loose. A reef knot, as you put stress into the laces with your foot in every stride, it's only going to pull tighter. So it won't come untied once you've cinched it up. So how to make the difference between a granny knot and a reef knot? Well, first, start by crossing over, as you usually do. That's your first step. And then, as you make the bow, and you go, say, under, instead, you would go over the, the loop and then pull tight. That's it. One change. Yeah, so just in the way you wrap around. An alternative to that, because I find that hard to go around the loop in an opposite direction that I have been for years, is to change the way you cross over the laces initially. So if you went left over right and end up with a granny knot, change so you go right over left. And then, Complete the bow as you always have, going under or over. Again, reef knot instead of a granny knot. So first step is identifying it. If you tie a granny knot, make one of those changes and be sure your shoe will not come untied. So that what that means basically, folks, is that just to tie one, you tie it under instead of over. You know, and you make the bow. When you make the bow, you tie it under as opposed to over the bow. You see what I mean? No, maybe not. If you don't, well, you can see it on Yahoo News. Right. <laughs> what a joke, right? So, anyway. Um, whoever my hacker was, they must have liked that article because they didn't zap me. Right? So that's, that's good to know. But at the same time, maybe they went to bed. Uh, maybe they went to bed. So, anyway, I'm going to, uh, what I'm going to do try to get back into my web page here that I have. And uh, I will be on there in one second. Maybe. Huh. Oh, let's see. Da 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 and for those who prefer four parts of this Did you know that uh, they sell boneless pork rectums to China? Yeah, honest to God, folks. Boneless pork, pork rectums or inverted pork rectums are USDA uh, approved for export into China. And you know what they make out of those? Dumplings. In China, they make dumplings out of inverted pork rectums. Yum. And uh, let's see, it says here, uh, the palate of delicious pork rectums... <laughs> was spotted outside of a dumpling shop in Taipei, Taiwan. Please note that it is a product of the Great Republic. What's the, what do you mean it's a product? It's a product of the United States. Uh, as a, despite uh, complaints to the contrary, American workers can still produce goods sought across the world. Yeah, American workers produce the best pork rectums there are, right? Boneless pork rectums. It appears that pork rectums must be properly deboned and inverted before they become sellable. These can be made into dumplings. Here in the in the South, <laughs> we deep-fry pork intestines and call them chitlins. But 
Alternatively, we may use them as sausage casings. To my knowledge, these practices do not include the actual rectum portion. Okay, but perhaps the people of Taiwan prize quality American pork rectum so highly that they price domestic consumers out of the market. How many pork rectums are present in this picture? How many would fit in a standard shipping container? <laughs> the 20-foot container is a standard size. We have all seen these containers on the highway. And they measure 20 by 8 by 8.5 feet. So we only need one more piece of information. The size of the average deboned inverted pig's rectum is 2 feet long and 2 inches wide. For the purpose of this calculation, we can assume that the rectum is a parallel, parallel piped, uh, which is to say a rectangular box size. Okay, the standard rectum thus takes up uh, 0.056 cubic feet. We'll ignore packing considerations for now and imagine that we're trying to stuff as many rectums as we can into a container. This calculation, will, which will represent an upper bound as easy, we have 1,360 available cubic feet with each rectum takes up to uh, 0.056 cubic feet. So anyway, <laughs> so now those Koreans are importing two to three uh, of those containers every month. Pick up the middle figure, and, uh, and that makes 30 containers a month, uh, a year. But just going to this one company that gives a grand total of between 560 to 610,000 rectums per year sailing across the high seas on their way to Korea. Okay. P.S. Shouldn't these actually be labeled as boneless pork recta? I cannot confirm it, but I think that rectum is a second declension now. Right. Strange. Strange, but that's one thing we should be, that, that we can be proud of, folks, in this country. One of our strongest businesses here is, uh, you know, meatpacking and uh, boneless pork rectums inverted uh, we sell to China. China into Korea as for dumplings. Um, anyway, so I want to thank you all for joining me tonight. <laughs> it's been a lot of fun. And uh, I want to say that uh, just for the heck of it, uh, uh, join me tomorrow night. i got a tremendous show. Uh, we're going to be doing trans-dimensional uh, radio with my friend uh, Maria Fix-Algeri. And um, if you're aware of what we do, uh, if you've tuned into our show, just be ready to be amazed tomorrow night, and we will be taking you to the fifth dimension. So good night, everybody, and have a wonderful, wonderful night. And join us right here tomorrow, same time, same place, uh, for an amazing, amazing show. Good night, everyone.